Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, and you could be, my name is Mike. Normally at this point, I would tell you we have four campuses, and you may be listening to me in Indiana, or you may be listening to me in Freeport, or maybe even in the Petroleum Valley, or right here in beautiful Catanning where I am live. Um, but today, none of you are in those places. You are in uh, your home campus, your own living room, or perhaps a neighbor's living room, and I'm glad you're here to join us. Listen, if you're alone today, you, you, either you, you didn't have someone you could be with right now, or if you're quarantining yourself or being very careful for some reason, I um, sit, pull up to the to the computer screen, and uh, we're gonna you, just imagine you're worshiping with hundreds of people at the same time because you are. And um, so let's let's get started. Now, I have a sermon from Mark chapter 7, so if you'd open your Bibles to Mark 7. But before I get there, I guess I have to say a word or two about what our country's going through. I'm not going to belabor it much because coronavirus has probably been on your mind more than you want lately. So um, I just wanted to say a few things to you as your pastor. One, the coronavirus is not a good thing, okay? It's bad. It's a result of the fall that we get sick and die. A virus shouldn't hurt a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. We should be fine, except we're sinners. And that's why viruses and uh, pestilence, as the Bible says, can kill us. But I I do want to tell you what is good. It's good when people consider their own mortality. In Ecclesiastes 7, it actually says that if a man goes to a house of mourning, or like a funeral home today, that, that that is better than going to a house of feasting or a party. Why? Because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. So one of the blessings, if you will, of this coronavirus scare is that people are thinking about dying who needed to think about dying. Um, why? So they can remember the important things of life. Not only the important things of being in this good earth with their family and friends and what really matters, but also that they can think about their eternity and what comes next. And we know we have hope in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that hope yet, I hope before I'm done you do have faith in God. He loves you. Now, as a Christian, we're tempted to fear and sometimes we get scared, but I want to remind you there's nothing to be afraid of. There has always been disease and pestilence on this fallen earth. This is nothing new to God. Um, And in fact, uh, a global event like this may even be a sign that his return is getting nearer because we know certain things like this uh, will be happening as that day approaches when the Lord returns. And so you could even be a little bit excited about that, not about the virus, but about the return of our Lord. We do want to be cautious, and, and uh, there's so many people telling you this and telling you that, and uh, some say, it, uh, this is what's going to happen, we're all going to die, and some say, this is going to happen, almost no one's going to die, but you know what? Nobody really knows, and that can make you anxious, uh, but I would say, don't be, don't be. The truth is, we'll all find out together, but there is one who already knows what will happen, and that's God, and He loves you. And he has a plan for you in the midst of this. And this is actually part of his plan that you go through this. And so yes, there's uncertainty. And that can cause you to fear. But it's only uncertain to you. It's not uncertain uh, to God. And then finally, I'd say, th- set your mind on things above, says Paul. 
this is a time to study your scripture. Maybe memorize uh, some scripture. I've been doing a study uh, with um, eight, seven, I don't know, forget the math, some of our potential new elders, and we're all memorizing some scriptures together. And I've been every morning, as soon as I wake, wake up, going over about seven or eight scriptures and just filling my mind with that before I worry about what's in the news. You know, uh, put your mind where it goes. Your friends on Facebook who tell scary stories don't know, right? <laughs> um, your friends or people who, who tell other stories don't know. Put your mind on God. Put your mind on God. And another thing, we need to think of others first. Uh, Isaiah 8 has a phrase that's, that's stuck in my brain during the last several days where Isaiah says, God speaks to the people through Isaiah and says, do not fear what they fear. And he's saying in the world around you, when everyone's worried about a conspiracy or what's happening, the advice from God is do not fear what they fear. And the world is filled with fears. And the problem with fear is fear makes us think only of ourselves, unless we're fearing God. But when we fear, and so we're tempted to fear, turn your mind away from that and on purpose think of others. Hopefully, you've already reached out to someone during this time to bless them in some way. Maybe not physically, maybe physically, or maybe you've called someone on the phone to see how they're doing to encourage. If you haven't, make sure this day doesn't end that you don't reach out to somebody to get your mind on encouraging another person. But I especially want us to begin, even before I preach, with a prayer for our brothers and sisters in India, the ones we know, because uh, we have three families over there from our area, uh, the ones we've met since we got there, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that we know, and really for all of India, because let's put this in perspective. We do have a great country, and though we fight with each other all the time, really we've been so blessed, and you can already see uh, the government of Pennsylvania and the government of the United States uh, and the, the individual uh, businesses and individuals, we're pulling together, and we're going to get through this. Um, and I think... <laughs> in a worldwide sense, with minimal damage because, because we have a great country. But if you think of India, which I'm not saying it's not a great country, but it's not well run. And they got well over a billion people. They have no sense of what's, what's the word now? Social distance. If you've ever been to India, take my word for it if you haven't, they don't do social distance. You, get, you could get a, a, a cab, a three-wheel cab. They don't call them a cab, but I'll call it that. And the driver's here, and he'll put two or three people right next to him on one little seat. Uh, someone with people on their lap, and, and uh, you'll be back there with two of your friends, and you filled up the whole thing. They'll pull over and pick up a family because they don't do social distance. And there's a billion of them. And their government has no control in the sense of all the details and all the people Imagine if, if, if coronavirus gets to them and hits them hard. I don't know what you're afraid of, but I guarantee you it'll be literally a thousand times worse in India. And so let's put our minds there and pray for them. Pray for hot weather to come fast there, and maybe that'll help. Um, but I want to start with a prayer, and then uh, I'm going to jump right into the Gospel of Mark, okay? All right, brothers and sisters, pray with me. Father in heaven... As we gather in our homes with friends, family, or even just with you and with our friends and family that, uh, in an invisible sense, um, we know that you are good. You have made us for such a time as this. You knew this day would come. You, you made us to be in the midst of this. 
And so there must be a way for each one of us to glorify you. I pray you would cause us all to do that. And Lord, I do pray for the people of India, for the nation, for the, the, the Muslims who we love there and want to lead to Christ, <laughs> to the friends we have that are both American and Indian. And I ask for safety, for your providential hand to protect everyone who must live through this, uh, for your mercy on those who are sick. And uh, I pray you bring unseasonably hot weather if hot weather stops this. I pray you bring a cure if a cure stops this. But I pray your blessing be on those people, the moms, the babies, the dads, the grandpas, the grandmas, all the people that you'd be with them, and perhaps revival will come. And that our country, as well as that country, as well as the whole world, will begin. Many people will look at their sins as they look at their mortality and repent, realizing they're going to die, and find the salvation that is in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's jump into Mark chapter 7, verse 24 to 7. 27, we've been going through Mark, um, chapter by chapter. Last week, Scott... Uh, preached, and now it's my turn. So verse 24 to 27, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll talk about it. Let's start in verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose, and he went away. He's going away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Um, this away means kind of away from the people. He's looking for a break, a little relaxation time, a little R&R, but he's in trouble. He's, he's like the mom uh, of, of a family of eight kids. He, he ain't going to get, you know, uh, she would never get relaxation time. You can't escape him, and that's what's going to happen. But he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. He was hiding. He wanted to rest, and perhaps he wanted rest for his guys even more. Verse 25, but immediately a woman whose little daughter, just a little thing, had an unclean spirit, heard of him, she heard, he's in town, and she came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, meaning not a Jew, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. And the demon has left your daughter, he tells her. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. So we see Jesus is seeking privacy, right? Um, the first obstacle he has is, uh, to privacy is this Gentile woman who is seeking him out and being very loud. In fact, the account of this from Matthew, Matthew gives us some more details that Mark left out, and I want to read them to you so you get a better picture of, of what preceding uh, th this text before we got to where Mark started. So this is from Matthew chapter 15. I'm just going to jump in. I don't know if you have time to turn there. Matthew 15, verse 21 to 25, if you're taking notes. He said, and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying. So she was yelling. Right? Jesus and, the, and, the, and his guys, they, they were trying to find a quiet place to rest. And this woman's yelling at him. She's, she, it's hard to rest when somebody's yelling. And she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Right? She knew the language. <laughs> she knew the Jews. Let's call him the Lord. Let's call him the son of David. Right? My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, what did Jesus do? According to Matthew, he 
did not answer her a word. So you have this scene where this lady's yelling, and Jesus is just like, <laughs> I hear nothing, I don't know you're there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Now, his disciples are checking him out, right? They're like, huh, she's screaming, can't get any peace and quiet, and he's acting like he doesn't hear her. And his disciples came and begged him. They begged him, which means she wouldn't shut up. And they're annoyed. You ever have someone who just won't shut up? And you don't care what it is they want, just shut up. She won't shut up. Shut up. <laughs> so he said, they begged him, Jesus, please send her away. She's annoying us. It's actually, uh, the exact words are, send her away, for she's crying out after us. And then he answered. After his disciples said, look, she's got to shut up. I'm thinking, they're thinking, clearly you're not going to help her. Normally you heal everybody, but this lady obviously is not worthy. You don't care what she has to say. You think she's a charlatan. There's some reason you're not going to help her. Well, if you're not going to help her, Could you stop her from bugging us? (laughs) If you're not going to help her, could you get rid of her? And as soon as they go there, then he talks to her. And he says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, when you see house in the Bible used like that, it's family. So it's an entire nation, but the family of the man Israel, the 12 tribes and all the rest. I was sent only to the lost sheep. I was sent only to the lost sheep. Well, she's a Gentile, right? She's a Gentile. And then it says, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. So again, the scene, he's going to rest with his boys. Uh, This woman comes screaming at him. She won't stop screaming at him. He won't either answer her, heal her, send her away, nothing. The disciples get annoyed and they say, shut her up. Now think about this woman's point of view. She's been screaming, screaming, screaming. Now his his closest buddies are saying, shut her up. She probably thinks, I'm losing ground, right? And then Jesus finally turns to her and talks. <laughs> now, this is a desperate mom. This is a desperate mom. A woman may not humiliate herself like this for herself, but mamas will, mamas will fight if they think it's going to help their baby. He's a healer, for goodness sake. His, her daughter has a demon he's her only hope, and she is not going to give up. So he emphasized her nationality in this Matthew text. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Clearly telling her, you're not a Jew, lady. You are not a Jew. What are the disciples thinking? Yeah, you're not a Jew. You know, are they thinking that? I don't know. Or they're like, we thought he was kind of nice to some Gentiles, but he don't like this one. Now, what did she hear? Well, that was all the opening she needed. He's talking to her. He doesn't care that she said, I didn't come for you. Well, I got your attention at least, right? And that's where we entered in to our text in Mark. And in verse 27 of our text, he said to her, let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, right? (laughs) Let the children be fed first. Now, if this discouraged her, it didn't, she didn't show it, right? Um, in a family, children are fed first, not the dog. Um, this is a metaphor. 
And, and, and anyone who's owned a dog <laughs> knows that if, if you have if an indoor dog, it, it likes to wait under the table. And um, you will take care of the kids. If, you're, if your kids are starving, but your dog is fat, all right, that's weird. And he said, look, so what's the implication? The implication here is you are the family, you're the equivalent of a family pet as a Gentile. Wow. We're fam- These are family. I came from heaven to give the good stuff to the kids. You're like the family pet. Okay. <laughs> wow. Now, does she cry? Does she run away? Does she get offended? In our culture, she, uh, she'd have said, well, that's, that's a racist thing to say. How dare you say racist things to me? And she would have went on Facebook and Twitter and told the whole world what an awful man he was. And uh, no doubt it would have been on CNN. But she didn't do that. She has an agenda. She wants to save her child. So thinking quickly, she said, again from our text, yes, Lord. <laughs> yeah, you should teach the children, feed the children first. Yeah, I'm just a family pet. But do you know what happens to family pets? They sit waiting for the children to drop crumbs. And then we eat them. <laughs> right? Because um, because no one minds a dog cleaning the floor for them. If, if a kid drops... And, and, that's why kids often will drop it by accident, if you know what I mean. They're like, oh, there goes my broccoli. Um, the dog doesn't care. The dog will eat it, and there's no head of household with any sense who would stop the dog from cleaning the floor. And that's her point to him. She says, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs under the table, because that's where they rest, they get to eat the crumbs. Jesus is impressed. Why is he so impressed? He is having a bigger conversation, and she's picking up on it, whether her, his disciples are or not, right? He's impressed. You, you want what I have, and you believe that what I have is so powerful that if you just got a crumb, it would fix you. You know, he's got Pharisees telling him, oh, if you're really the son of God, why don't you show me a sign? You know, he's got people doubting him that are from Israel, that have the scriptures. And here's this, this Gentile woman. She doesn't need any of that. She says, a crumb of what you got will save me. And it's, it's really a beautiful moment. In Matthew, he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. He, he expresses uh, kindness to her. You see, Jesus knew all along where this conversation was going to lead. He knew when the lady was screaming where he was going. He intended for the disciples to see her and hear her. That we, He doesn't say exactly why he waited, but we know the effect of his waiting to answer her was the disciples got all worked up and they were paying very close attention to what happened. And we know he wanted that. How do we know? Because they wrote it in their Gospels so that all of history would remember this woman and remember this event. Jesus doesn't do that just for fun. He's, he, he's teaching not only the disciples something, but everyone who reads the Bible. And he intended this event to teach you and to teach me and to teach everybody. So that's what we want to look at. What was Jesus teaching? Well, there's an immediate application. I, I, I don't think that's too difficult. 
Um, uh, we could say it this way. Jesus hears the faithful cries of the humble, right? If, if you're hurting, cry out to him. And you might say, well, he's busy. He must be busy. He's got to manage all the angels. He's got to take care of all these nations. He's got Billy, Billy Graham's, well, Billy Graham's dead now, but <laughs> he's got Billy Graham's son. Uh, uh, the Pope is talking to him. He's listening to big shots. What's he care about me? He's got a plan for the universe. What's he care about me? Look, the, the Son of God had a plan. He came to his own people. And here's this, this Gentile woman who does not figure into the immediate plan. He interrupts his plan to hear her. He'll interrupt his plan to, to hear you because he loves you. And that, that's probably the most immediate. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. He wasn't ignoring her because she was a Gentile and she was lesser than. He was ignoring her because he wanted to teach something to the disciples and through them teach us what is it. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the bigger story, okay? The bigger story. So pull up to your television and pay attention or your computer um, because it's God's big explanation of salvation worldwide. It starts here. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He said that. And also he said, let the children be fed first. Well, if he says, let the children be fed first, what jumps to your mind? <laughs> well, what tell you what jumps to mind is if we follow that metaphor, if Israel is his family, the nation Israel and the Jews, right? He's, those are the children, right? Are you with me? So if he says, let them be fed first, doesn't that imply that there's a second feeding? Right? He doesn't say, oh, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let the children be fed. Boom. He said, let the children be fed first, which implies there's a second feeding. (laughs) There's more people who are going to eat. Can't help but think of certain parables like where Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a king who sent his his guys out and said, invite invite my, my dignitaries to a big party, right? And then the dignitaries didn't come. He says, well, go invite all the people to a big party. And some of them came, but they said, King, there's still room. And the king was angry that his own people didn't come. So he said, fine, go out to the hedges and the highways. Get any, anybody can come, any commoner from anywhere. Drag him in. This idea of a, there's an initial feeding goes to the Israelites. But there's a second feeding that can go to anyone. It's caught up in this picture of this woman the important people were the disciples. They're going to paint pictures of them. The Italians are going to paint some great pictures of them in about 1,400 years, right? They're going to be around tables. They're going to make statues. Notre Dame is going to have statues of them. This lady is just some nameless Greek. <laughs> How does salvation of the Jews relate to salvation of the non-Jews? That's the question Jesus is hinting at here in which the Bible develops. I want to show you how the Bible develops this theme. Romans 1.16 says this. Hopefully this is a familiar verse. If not, hopefully it will become one and maybe even a memory verse. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is a message, the good news. 
right? That Jesus Christ died for sinners, that he rose again, that he's the son of God, that he's, he's ascended to heaven, that he's coming back to judge and he will save all who believe in him. That's the good news. He says, I am not ashamed of this news for it. That message is the power of God for salvation. You can be lost in your sin. Hear that message. Come to believe and be saved. You can be, uh, your, all your sins, everything you feel guilty about. Do you feel guilty about anything? Do you have regrets about anything? All of them can be washed away and you can start brand new because of this message that Christ died for sinners and he rose again and he loves you and he's coming back and he's God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And if Paul had stopped right there, I think we'd have the gospel most of us already understand. God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Whoever believes in him should not perish. But he doesn't stop there. He adds this little phrase that's kind of odd. He says, to the Jew first. (laughs) This is powerful. Anyone who believes, you can be saved. But the Jew first. Well, that's not very American. That's not very egalitarian. Shouldn't we all have a fair shot at this? No, to the Jew first also to the Greek. And the Greek represents the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew. So, the ground is level at the cross. And Jesus showed that by having mercy on that woman. In other words, anyone who believes comes to know Christ. The Bible says that. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. But there's this part about, first it's for the Jew. Let's jump in and try to understand that a little more. Let's go back to our text where it says this. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See that word sent. I was sent. 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 It's not I chose to go. I thought I'd go to the lost. No, it's not I thought I'd go. I chose to go. It's not the lost sheep of Israel called me. It's not like I was invited by the lost sheep. It's I was sent. Right? So sent implies another person telling him what to do, right? And where was he sent from? Not Nazareth. Not Nazareth. His father was the Holy Spirit. He was sent from heaven. And who lives in heaven before they're born? Sorry, Mormons. Nobody. Nobody. Except God, because he's the son of God. And if he's the son of God, he is God. And God sent him. Mary didn't send him. Mary didn't send him to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Joseph didn't send them. The priests, they didn't send them. They didn't even like them. The apostles didn't send them. He sent them. His Father in heaven sent them. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father sent the Son. Now he's God. If God in all his godness invades the earth, I don't think the earth can exist. So what he did was he added a body and said, okay, you go. And Jesus went. What is uh, three three quick things to learn from that? One is Jesus is a man under authority. Today we're, we hate the word submission. We don't like authority. We want to fight it. I want you to know Jesus was the most thoroughly submitted man there ever was. He, he did whatever his father said and whatever his father wanted him to do. Second thing is he came from heaven, which means he's God. And third, he was sent to walk among us. That's, that's John 1.14. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, right? But he didn't really dwell among us, did he? Not all of us. 
right? He didn't. If your ancestors at that time, let's say they were up in Britain, and it was dark and cold, and one of them was cutting themselves with a stick, going, and calling out to some pagan god because the shaman or the druid told him to. Well, that was your grandpa. Well, Jesus didn't come to him, did he? Or, or maybe your great-great-grandpa was out in Japan. <laughs> and uh, I'm not even going to pretend whatever they're doing. Or maybe he was over in the New World worshiping the sun or killing virgins and throwing them into a volcano like the Aztecs. He didn't go there. He didn't go there. He said, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't dwell among all of us. No, no. He just dwelt among the Jews, and not just the Jews, the Jews living in, in Israel. Because at that time, Jews, because of things that had happened a few centuries before Jesus came, uh, political things, wars and such, Jews had been scattered throughout the known world. He didn't go there. There was a bunch of Jews in Greece. He didn't go to Greece. There were Jews in Italy. He didn't go to Italy. He stayed right there to the Jews in Israel. And that's the only people Jesus went to see. Sorry to you Mormons. I'm picking on the Mormons again. But the Mormons have the false belief. This is, this is really crazy. And it's going to sound like you want to say that's stupid. Because it's really stupid. But there's people who take this seriously. And I'm not insulting those people. But here's what they say. They say that the lost tribe of Israel is really the American Indians. Native Americans. And And Jesus went and visited the new world uh, after the cross. He says, I'm going over there. And then he talked to the Jews over there. All kinds of problems. That first, there's no Jews who were on that continent ever (laughs) before, before Jesus came. Second, he didn't leave Israel. He didn't leave Israel. He didn't visit Mormon's ancestors. And he didn't visit yours. This is hard to compute because what the Bible teaches is God picked one people over all the others. It could be argued he loved that nation better than the rest, which is hard to understand because we know he loves faithful people no matter what nation they come from. But he chose that one nation, Israel, and he put it above all other nations. Let me read you just two of hundreds of texts I could read you from the prophets of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, 6, though, is a seminal text for, Israel, for Jews. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You Jews, he means, are a holy people. Nation, ethnos, you are a people to the Lord. You're set aside from all those other pagans. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, right? Say, today that would be called racist to say that. He says, he, he chose you to be a people out of all the peoples. He looked at all the nations and said, nah, just you. Just you, I chose you. Psalm thirty-three, twelve said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, which one is that? Well, that'd be Israel. You could be from Egypt. Oh, is Egypt blessed? Sorry. (laughs) Stinks to be you. 
How about Babylon? Nope. Japan, forget it. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. It's not a new idea that God chose Israel. So when Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and I must feed the children first, he meant it. That doesn't go with American sensibilities, does it? But it is God's plan. Some can wonder, why did you choose Israel? Why did you choose the Jews? Why did you form that nation from one man, Abraham? And and why them? What makes them better? Nothing makes them better. He just chose them. Well, why did you come in zero AD? You didn't have telephones and you didn't have television and How are you going to reach the whole world from there? How are you going to reach the whole world from there in zero AD? Why didn't you come in at least 1995? We could have got some good video. We could have broadcast you all over. If you came, actually, this question was asked in 1971, I think, in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, when in one of their songs, uh, Jesus is, is, is asked, With anger, every time I look at you, I'm quoting this now, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You'd have managed better if you'd had it planned. He did, but... (laughs) Now, why'd you choose such a backward time in such a strange land? If you'd come today, you could have reached the whole nation. Israel in 4 BC, they didn't even have mass communication. (laughs) Right? You ever wonder that? Why did you come in 0 AD? (laughs) How are you supposed to reach the world? Jesus wasn't trying to reach the world, was he? I mean, you might say, ultimately, yes. I didn't ask you ultimately. I'm saying first. He didn't leave Israel. He said, well, didn't he go to some Gentile territories? They should have been Jewish. (laughs) But the boundaries were pushed in. You know what Jesus needed to reach Israel? He needed three years, a dozen helpers, and about a hundred or so interns. And that's what he he used. And then he canvassed the place. He didn't walk the whole place himself. He sent out the 12. He sent out the 70. There was about 100 and so. They had men and women that he sent out. I I figure if you're in the big 12, you know, you're you're top notch. And then there's there's another 100 or so people. And uh, there is interns, I guess. They were earning credits for college or something. But they canvassed. Israel for him. And that's as far as he needed to go. He didn't need to come any other time because his goal wasn't to reach the whole world. His goal was to step his foot on the dusty streets of one nation only, and it's not a very big one. So why, (laughs) why did God, why does God seem so affectionate to one little tiny group of people? So much so that he sends the greatest man who ever lived only to them. Okay, here's where we take notes for our map. To answer that question, God chose a nation known to the whole world through which he would bring his Bible and his Savior so that all could see. That is why Jesus was sent only to Israel in his incarnation. God chose, that may be a small nation, even today there's only 13 to 15 million Jews on the earth. It may be a small nation, but they're the center of the world today. They were the center of the world from the time they began. Why? Well, a little quick archaeology or 
or anthropology or history or Bible. They all say the exact same thing. Mankind all came from an area around the Mediterranean Sea. North Africa. And if you don't know where this is, don't wait till you're trying out for Jeopardy. Go look it up today. If you have a, a Bible, just turn to the back to the maps. Find the Mediterranean Sea. All civilization comes from right there. Right? Adam and Eve were there. All the people come from there. Secular anthropologists say the same. That's where civilization started. And so all civilizations, all of us, including you, even if you're from Korea or from, from where the Maya and the Aztecs came from in South America, you originated right around the Mediterranean Sea, a very small area. You got Italy up top and now it's mine, Spain and Turkey, Greece, and then all the northern African countries, which I'm going to forget if I start to name them, Egypt and Libya. And I think, forget it. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> but that's where everyone came from. And so everyone knew the Jews for two reasons. One, there you can reach them by boat very easily in the Mediterranean. So everyone knew all the, the border countries. But second, if you're on foot, they, you had to go through Israel if you wanted to travel north or south. So everyone knew the Jews. Everyone knew the Jews. And he held them together there. And then after several hundred years of being there, when they didn't serve God as they should have, he let the Babylonians come in and the Assyrians came in and they dragged Jews all over the world, all over the known world. So Jews started to be all over those areas, all over those nations. Everyone knew the Jews. And God, therefore, put prophets who wrote the Bible in their midst. And then Jesus came to them after they wrote the Bible for a thousand years. (laughs) He's like, here, two thousand years. Okay, forget it. Look it up. Fifteen hundred years about for Moses. And then Jesus was born at just the right time. And he went to Israel. And he said, I came in fulfillment of the scriptures. The Jews were strategically placed to bring salvation to the world. They didn't know that. They didn't realize the plan of God, even though it was in their Bible. Look, this isn't just New Testament. Let me read to you from First Chronicles. What? 800 years before Christ. Let me read to you. First Chronicles 16, you'll see the planned salvation of God in here. Remember God's wonderful deeds, he's saying to the Jews. Remember what he's done. His marvels and the judgment from his mouth, O seed of Israel, his servant. Sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so sons of Jacob means Israel, Israelites, Jews. Jews, he's saying. You chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. So there's a promise to them as a people. Well, they like that part. But then look what he says. Tell of his glory where? Among the nations. They miss that. Tell of the glory among the nations as they're passing through, as you're scattered here and there. Perhaps some of them did that before Christ came in their synagogues teaching um, their God while living in a nation of false gods. Tell of, tell of his glory among the nations. God wanted the nations to know the God of the Jews. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples, not just Jews. 
For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared, what? Above all gods. From the beginning, this little nation stuck in the middle of nowhere. At that time Jesus came, crunched down by the Romans, scattered and oppressed in various lands. He says, "Of you're going to go there and you're going to say, all your religions are wrong. Well, that makes you popular normally, right? He is to be feared above all gods. There's no God above God. There's no gods except God. For all the gods of the people, the Bible says, they're idols. They're not real. But the Lord made the heavens. Difference? The Lord made everything. Those gods you worship, you made them up. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. This is the plan of God, that the day will come when the earth and heaven are in harmony. Right now, there's not harmony. The earth curses God. The earth sins against God. The earth builds up wrath from God because of our sins are blatantly ignoring him. Gosh, I saw this. And I'm not picking on them. They're normal for the human race. I saw this, this video of these people on, uh, being interviewed on, who were at the beach on CBS. They're at the beach because it's spring break. Just total decadence. And they're saying, you know, they're wealthy because they're Americans. Um, they, they have all they want. They're down there for sex and drugs and drunkenness and debauchery. And they're like, I can't believe this. We were looking forward to this. I really wanted to party. When there's a disease that could kill them, (laughs) ravaging their nation. And all the world, all the world rebels against God. All the world. But the day will come when the heavens and the earth will be in harmony. Harmony. And that is the plan of God. He says, let the heavens be glad. Let all the earth rejoice, not just the Jews. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. All the nations. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He's still called the God of Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Then the people said, amen. And praise the Lord. So the plan of God is to bring salvation through Israel. Now, Jesus came in the flesh, only to Israel. He had to come to die, though. He had to come to be rejected. Israel had to reject her king. It was in the, it, because it was written in the scriptures, right? Uh, Israel, your king comes to you, uh, humble and riding on a colt, right? And, and, um, and then you're going to pierce him, Psalm 22. It, uh, they will pull out the hair of his beard. They, uh, they'll consider him stricken. He'll be crushed, right? He had to be slain and rejected by his own nation, Israel. This is not an anti-Semitic idea, though some think it is. It isn't. (laughs) He came to his own, and his own knew him not. John chapter 1. Then, after he rose from the dead, his death was to save the Jews. When they killed him, uh, it was the devil's mistake, right? The devil should not have wanted Jesus dead. Because when he died, he was going to use his blood to pay for the sins of Israel. He was going to pay for the sins of Israel. If Satan hates God's offspring, and he does, and wants them all uh, banished from heaven forever, he should not have killed Jesus. So even the Jews that killed him, and the Romans who helped, right? They both did it. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
And then he spilt the blood that it would cost to forgive him. And then he rose from the dead. And then before he ascended to heaven, he called his boys together. And he says, make sure all the nations hear this. When he rose from the dead, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me now. You know, I'm God, of course, but as a man, I beat death. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that, but I beat death. I went in there. I died, but I got up again because I have no sin. But here's the good news what I did for you. I took all your sins away. And now you can be forgiven. And you can have the Holy Spirit of God in you because there's three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And just like God sent His Son, His Son, when He returned to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't walk around in flesh. He gets inside of you. And He says to His followers, listen, when that happens, when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this good news and take it to the nations. I didn't set my foot in the nations, but you will. I wasn't abused by the nations, but you will be. I wasn't rejected by the nations, but you will be. Some of you will be martyred. Some of you will be tossed before kings. But I want some of you, some people, I have lost sheep in those nations too. You notice, by the way, if we go back to our text in our minds, he didn't say, I come to all the sheep of Israel. He says, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. Realizing, in other words, that not everyone would believe. And he says, you go and make disciples from every nation. You go and do it. We think he started a new religion, which we call Christianity, and there's nothing wrong with calling it Christianity, because that's what it is. But really, it's an old religion. It's Judaism as it's meant to be. Now, you might ask at this point, well, if he came as a Jewish Messiah, according to Jewish scriptures, how come most Jews never believed in him? And they didn't. Well, remember, the first followers of Jesus were all Jews, just about. So some Jews have always believed in Jesus. The leaders of Israel en masse haven't. If you're a leader of Israel and you start to follow Jesus, you know what they did? They kicked, You were no longer a leader. <laughs> They're like, you can't be in the club anymore. So the leaders of Israel have never accepted him, and they still don't. Why? The answer, (laughs) this may or may not be satisfying to you, is because it wasn't a part of God's plan. God has a plan. God has a plan. Did he forget the promise he made to the Jews to covenant with them forever? As, as, as I read from Chronicles, he said the covenant's everlasting. He promised the Jews, Israel, I love you people. Did he forget? Did he forget? No. Let me show you the plan of God from the book of Romans. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 11, 11, and 12. He said, so I ask you, did they, and he means the Jews, stumble? in order that they might fall. Did they reject Christ because God wants to crush ethnic Israel now? He says, no, by no means. And then he says something amazing, and I want you to look at it carefully as we read it. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. We do not know what would have happened if Israel had received her king. We do not know how God would have paid for their sins because Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus had to die. Maybe the Romans would have come and got him and killed him, and then the Jews would live. But we know that 
When Israel is exalted to where it needs to be, that's the end. That's the last promise God made, is he would raise up Israel. So by them rejecting him, he, we Gentiles have the opportunity to be saved. This is a very big historical picture, isn't it? We're talking about the history of mankind, not just the last few years. Because they rejected him, and that's what he says, through their trespass, salvation has come to who? The Gentiles. Because Israel rejected Jesus, you could be saved. So as to make Israel jealous. Then it says this. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world. Now, he's, he's offering an if. So there's going to be a then. The if is this. If because they sinned, Gentiles can be saved. Right? If because they did a bad thing, Gentiles can be saved, then he's going to go this. What if they did a good thing? That's where he's going to go. What good thing could Israel's leaders do that they didn't do? You know, right? They could acknowledge the Messiah. And then Paul says, well, if when they rejected Messiah, it meant we, all these millions of people got saved, that's good. How much better will it be if they receive their Messiah? Watch, and here, here's where he's going to go. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? He said, if, if you Gentiles got eternal life out of this, and you got to be children of God, if you got to be, and this, take this, you got to be grafted into Israel, even though you're not Jews, what if they received Christ? What if they in mass believed in him? Then what would that mean, he's saying? He's trying to get your imagination to go, well, it's going to be mind-blowing. Oh, it is. For your map, here's for the map. Israel rejected her Savior, Jesus, at the cross. Following Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, God sent the Holy Spirit into his followers. These men and women, eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus again testified to Israel about their Savior. Like Jesus at the cross, they too were rejected. The result? The good news of Jesus was taken by them to the whole world so that all nations could know God. Okay? Got that? But that's not the end of the story. If their trespass means riches for the world, what will their full inclusion mean? Okay, I'm going to give you the answer and then show it to you. The answer... One of these days, this remarkable people known as the Jews, who have survived 2,000 years without a nation, now they've got their nation back, sort of, surrounded by enemies. This remarkable little people who Satan has tried to destroy in place after place, century after century. This remarkable people known as the Jews, who are mostly atheists, agnostics, and don't love their God. This remarkable people, one day, and it might be soon, are going to en masse see their error and believe in Jesus. And sometime after that, not long, the Lord's going to return and raise from the dead all who've believed in him and all who already believe in him will be with him and he'll judge the living and the dead. In other words, the event that must happen to bring the Lord back is the repentance of the Jews. Let me show it to you. Verse 15 of Romans 11. 
I'd stopped at 12, jumped to 15. Paul says, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? There it is. If they rejected Christ and it meant the world was reconciled to God, they gave up their pagan gods, your grandfather stopped cutting himself and gave up his gods and worshiped God. You know, if the, all those Viking dudes said, forget it, Odin, you stink, and then they went for Jesus, which they did, right? And all the Russians gave up whatever they were doing, and all the Africans gave up whatever they were doing. Not all of them, but people from every tribe and tongue and nation turned and believed in the true God. That all came because Israel rejected you, Jesus. If that happened, then when they accept what will happen, he gives the answer, life from the dead. (laughs) When the Jews accept him, the resurrection. The resurrection doesn't take place till the Lord returns. And then we get our glorious bodies. Some people think the center of of, of God's church is in Rome. Rome was always the bad guy in the Bible. It's not. Some think in Constantinople or in the East. It's not. Some think in perhaps um, uh, somewhere in, in, in the Church of England or in evangelical America. No, the center, the center of God's world has always been on the apple of his eye, Jerusalem and Israel. And when she comes home, when mama comes home, all the children come home. So, let me show you some more from Romans 11. Same chapter. It's exciting, isn't it? We're almost done here, so I hate to stop because it's so good. But here we go. Lest you be wise in your own sight. And he's talking to Gentiles. So this would be you unless you're actually an ethnic Jew. Unless you get all uppity and think you're better than the Jews, you know. And, And there's been times in history when Christians have killed Jews, beat Jews, and said, you know, you're Christ killers. And that's not right. Or maybe they weren't even real Christians. But it's never been right. God says, don't you be proud in front of these people. He says, unless you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So what does he mean? Okay, a partial hardening. There's a reason why the leaders of the Jews have not been saved. It's because God is not done saving Gentiles. But it's partial. It's not a complete hardening. It will go away when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When everyone God wants to save is saved. And that is how it'll happen. And then all the Jews who live at that time, in general, probably everyone, will come to believe in him in mass. And you say, wow, I never knew that was in Romans. It's not just in Romans. Go back to Zechariah. You say, well, I was just studying Zechariah. Liar. (laughs) No one was just studying Zechariah. But let's do it right now. Let me show you something. From hundreds of years before Christ, here's Zechariah, a prophet of Israel, who told about the very end times. And listen to what he says. It'll blow your mind. Um, uh, This is Zechariah 12.10. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, I will pour out on the house of David. House of David would be Judah, or Jews from a certain, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he's talking about Jews. A spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. I'm going to pour out grace on my people, the Jews, in the last time, day, is what he's saying. See that? So that when they, now watch this. This is far out. <laughs> That's a 70s term, drug term for cool. It's far out. I still use it. I don't know why. So, Watch this. So that when they look on me, so this is God talking, 
right? Watch this. He says, when they look on me, God, and then they said, then he said, on him who they've pierced. Notice God changed. He went from first person singular, me, to third person singular, him. And he's talking about the same person. When they look on me, God, him whom they've pierced, that's obviously the cross, right? And this was written hundreds of years before. They shall mourn for him. They'll realize, oh my goodness, as one mourns for what? An only child. They'll weep bitterly as one weeps over a firstborn. Here it was telling of the very end of time, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And then it says in chapter 13, on that day there shall be a fountain open in the house of David. A fountain is almost always a good thing in, metaphorically in scripture. Life comes from fountains. Water comes from fountains. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That means Jews. On that day at the very end, what's it going to do? It's going to cleanse my people from their sin. How can people be cleansed? Only by faith. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. They will believe on Jesus. And then it says, they will call upon my name. I will answer to them them and say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. That is the salvation of the Jews at the end times told of hundreds of years before Jesus came. For our map, and then we're going to wrap this up. At the end of history as we know it, God will pour out his spirit on his people Israel with grace and mercy, causing them to look on him, the one they have pierced, the only child. A fountain will be opened then to wash away their sins. Finally, the people of Israel will join fully with their God, cleansed of sin, and saying the Lord is God. And what about us Gentiles? We Gentiles have been saved, will somehow be there with them at the resurrection grafted into their nation, ourselves, sons and daughters of Israel by faith. Because Paul revealed that mystery elsewhere and said, not all who are of Israel are Israel, but those who believe. Well, let's end this this way. How should we react to this amazing story, which was, remember where we started? (laughs) This whole thing was hinted at by this one little story of a mom who, who wanted her daughter to feel better. Jesus said, I've only come to Israel. The children need to eat first. And she says, yeah, but I know you got crumbs for me, right? And he goes, woman, you're going to love these crumbs. Here, We should always be humble. That's the answer. We should always be humble. We should not fear what the nations fear. Fear not what they fear. Because we have a glorious destiny by a God who's planned our tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how long coronavirus lasts. It doesn't matter what happens to the stock market. None of that matters. God sees a much bigger picture. But we need to be like the woman. <laughs> I mean, call on him. He'll interrupt what he's doing. Not because you're so important, but because he's so good. And you got to be okay being a house pet. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I don't need to get David and Moses and all them big time Jews credit. I'll be a Gentile house dog. (laughs) Sure, I'll get the paper. I'll get your slippers. As long as I get to be in the house with you, Jesus. We need to embrace humility like her. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, says Peter. It is the Christian way to stop being jealous of other people. Everyone fights it sometime. Stop it. Every time you feel yourself being jealous, remind yourself of the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. 
Humble yourselves, Peter said, under the mighty hand of God. He didn't say, wait for him to humble you. You don't want that. There's people ignoring Jesus today. He will humble on the day of judgment, and they will wish they'd humbled themselves. You Christians, every day, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Don't lift yourself up. Don't need to be important. Because the rest of that verse goes, and in due time, he'll lift you up. He has a plan. Are you too good to be a house pet? I'm not. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this flock, wherever we are. Because <laughs> we're all together in the Spirit and with you. Lord, your salvation is, wow, amazing. So much for our minds to take in. So much to think about. It's amazing we have a part in the story right now, at this point in history. Please keep us amazed at what you're doing. Confident that you're with us in this moment too. Just like you're with that lady in that moment. That little story, she just kind of throws herself into the Bible. Doesn't even know it. You're with us too. And may we uh, shine like she does with faith and humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.